today's sermon is called Idols. You know, exercise has always been uh, a pretty big part of my life. I'll say for, uh, let's say about the past 10 years, I've tried my best, uh, I've, tried to, I've tried really hard, let's say, to build a habit where I would exercise or go to the gym about two to three times a week. And so, I mean, in all accounts, even for myself, I would say that's, that's pretty good, right? Ten years, about two to three times a week. I would say that's a pretty, that's a pretty fit person. However, uh, what's been interesting is that up until last year, the weights that I was using was practically the very same amount of weight that I was using when I first started. I literally haven't progressed at all. That's kind of sad, and, and that took a lot of courage for me to say that, so I hope that you're happy. So about, for about 10 years, really, I was using only very similar weights, the amount that I squatted, the amount that I deadlifted, all of those, those weightlifting exercises, I would do almost the exact same. I wasn't progressing, and for me, I just, I didn't really understand why. You know, I, I, I was getting frustrated with myself, and so... I would, I watched even more motivational videos on YouTube. I would pose even longer in front of the mirror and nothing would change. I would even crank up the music even louder in my headphones and yet the weight for me just wouldn't move. However, last year, I realized that the reason I wasn't progressing was because my form was completely off. I realized that the reason I wasn't getting stronger was because the very basic, the most basic part of my workout, understanding what muscles I have to use, understanding how to move up and down, all of that was completely wrong. And in fact, I realized that it was so wrong because I would do those weights and the more weight I would put on, I would get injured. So what I ended up doing for the past, for a few months, at the beginning of last year was I was just spend time, I would just spend time fixing my form. And when I did, that's when I started to progress. That's when I actually started to get stronger. I bring this up because for many of us, we have become stagnant in our Christianity. I think for many of us, we've been Christians for a very long time. We've been building good habits. Some of us have been attending church week in and week out. Some of us may have read the Bible again and again. Some of us have been praying consistently, and yet our relationship with God has not really grown. And the question is, why is that? If we've done all of those different diagnostics, if we've seen everything else is falling into place and yet our relationship with God has plateaued or is not growing, then what could possibly be the problem? Well, the Bible tells us that the reason why we have not grown in our relationship with God is because something is wrong with our foundation. We have to go back to the basics. And what the Bible tells us about that is that there is an idol within our heart that is taking the place of God. 
that it is important for us to know what idols are, to know how to identify them, and know which idols we are fighting within our own lives. Because no matter how much we try to fix our habits, no matter how much we try to go to church or read the Bible or pray consistently or do all of these other good things, if we don't understand the very foundation of what idols are in our heart replacing the place of God, we will always stay in the same place. There's a reason why in the Bible God speaks about idols more than any other sin. And it's because it's so absolutely foundational for our understanding and our relationship with him. And so that's why in this passage, what we're going to look at is something very simple, and yet something very foundational, and that's idols. There's two things I want us to see. First is what is an idol? And second is how to identify idols. That's all. First is what is an idol? Verse 23 says, About that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. Now, back then, don't be confused about that kind of wordage. The way was just another word for Christianity. And it says that Christianity was causing problems in the city of Ephesus. Now, it wasn't just some problems. When it says no little disturbance, what that really means is that there was this serious trouble that was occurring. That there was this grave cause for concern from the people because of what Christianity was doing. Now the question is, what was the trouble that Christianity was causing? Well, when you read a little bit further, there was a man named Demetrius, and he was this maker of idols. In other words, what he would do is he would create these shrines and these figures so that the people of Ephesus could worship these different Greek gods. And they would worship all of these gods, but one of the main gods was the god of Artemis. And so he would make these shrines and these figures so that the people could worship this god. And what he realized was that there was this man named Paul who came into the city of, of Ephesus, and he was preaching about this religion called the Way. And what Paul was preaching was that the gods that you could create, in other words, the Greek gods that we had all thought of, they are not real gods. And so what inevitably happened was that people in Ephesus, they began to understand the gospel. They began to get convicted within their own hearts. They began to believe in what Paul was saying about Jesus Christ. And therefore, they stopped buying Demetrius's stuff. They stopped buying idols. They stopped buying those shrines. They stopped buying those figures. And what ended up happening was that the entire group of people who made idols began to run out of business because people began to believe in Jesus Christ. You see, back then, for the people of Ephesus, these idols were really simple. They were just Greek gods. They were the shrines that they created. They were the figures 
there were these different Greek gods that they would worship. But the question becomes, how does this apply to us? Because I know that for us in the 21st century, for us in the U.S., we don't really worship Greek gods. We don't really worship these shrines or these figures. And so the question is, what is an idol for us? What is an idol for me and for you? Church, it's important to see that an idol is anything that takes the place of God. In other words, even if we believe in God, if there's something in our lives that is more important than him, simply that is our idol. And I think for a lot of us, we think of idols as bad things. Obviously, Greek gods are, are bad. And in our, in, our, in our time, man, alcohol, drugs, pornography, I mean, those things are obviously bad. They have bad results. There's, there's bad things from that. And yes, absolutely, bad things are a form of idolatry. But it's also a mistake to think that idolatry are only bad things. Idolatry is anything, good or bad, that has control over your life. In fact, I would say that good things are more dangerous because good things can become your idol without you even realizing it. Tim Keller, he says it this way, the most powerful idols are good things we turn into ultimate things. You know, even for myself, as I was studying this passage, I was thinking about idolatry in our 21st century. One of the examples that I thought of for myself and for many of us, maybe, is technology. In our culture, one of the greatest idols that we, I think, will ever face is technology. And look, I am I'm the first one to tell you how thankful I am that we have what we have. I am the biggest Apple fanboy you will ever meet. I, tr I will spend time watching the Apple keynote. I want to watch it live. I enjoy following those forums and, and seeing what the next iPhone is. I love that stuff. And I love, and I'm so thankful for technology. If it wasn't for that, then we wouldn't be able to live stream like we are today. I mean, people aren't, I've talked to so many of our missionaries overseas who haven't seen their congregation in months, who don't know how they're doing simply because they don't have the technology to live stream or speak to them or even record their sermons so that others can hear it. And yet we have all of that. From the minute we weren't able to gather, we were able to still worship together. That's the power and the beauty of technology. But there is a danger to technology. And if we're, not if we're not careful, it will take the place of God in our lives. Tim Chalice, the Christian author, he says in his book, if technology is a good gift from God with the potential to fulfill our God-given calling and purpose, why does it feel like we are slaves to our technology? And he says this because he's observing our culture and he sees the ways that Christians, in particular, are interacting with technology. He gives examples of ways that technology has subconsciously become our idols. He says, when we see someone at church, and instead of focusing on the service, they're checking the scores. 
or simply texting on their phone. And we wonder if that person owns their phone or if their phone owns them. He says that we see men who spend the majority of their day playing video games and finding contentment in the virtual world rather than investing in the real one. He says that we see women who care more about the opinions of strangers on social media than the advice that God has for them in the Bible. And he says, we wonder if technology has become our everything. Idols are good. They can be simply good things. And yet when they become our ultimate things, that's when, that's when something dangerous happens. And that's when God is no longer our God. He's no longer our Savior. He's no longer our Lord. But those things become our Lord and Savior. Before I move on to our second point, I just want to mention one thing about what an idol is. Because this is the main definition of an idol. And I think for many of us, we understand that. We understand, okay, money, fame, career, even family, those, those things can really be our idols. And, and those things are good, but if they become ultimate, they become bad. And yet, I would ask you to be careful about the definition of an idol because I believe another definition of an idol is our view of God. Let me quickly share what I mean. Verse 26, it says, And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. You see, Paul, he was preaching about idols, and he was saying one thing, and what we could assume here is that he was like chanting this, that this was one of his main battle cries as he was preaching into the cities. And he was saying this, that people, that if you create God with your own hands, it is not really God. That if you can mold it, that if you can form it, that it is not God. In fact, we see this in chapter 27, verse 20, chapter 17, verse 29, where Paul says, don't think that God can be made through human skill or imagination. What does this mean for us? It means that when we try to shape God in the way that we think God should work, if we try to form God into the expectations that we believe God should act, and that he doesn't fulfill those expectations and we get upset at him, what we're doing is we are creating an idol of God. What we're doing is we're simply replacing fame and money and, and all these different things, and we're just putting a different thing in the middle, and we're just calling it God. When we try to worship a God that is created from our own imagination, when we try to worship a God that we place our own expectations about, we're simply creating a God. It's not the God of the Bible. It's not Jesus Christ. It's not the God that we worship today. That is your God that you have created within your own heart. And I'm saying this because it's, it's a bit more pervasive. It's a bit more hidden. And I... I want you to be careful of that. 
Many times we just focus upon the money or the fame or, or these alcohol or, or these other addictions. And yes, those are idols, but man, the one that's a lot more hidden, and yet I think the one that can be really more powerful within our lives is this one, our view of God. If you worship God through your lens of expectation, then what you've done is you simply created a different version of God, and that is idolatry in and of itself. So if that's what an idol is, then lastly, how do we identify our idols? Well, everyone struggles with idolatry. Idols are dangerous because they're so prevalent and so hidden. And so the question is, it's not a matter of finding out if you have idols, but which idols you have. And that includes Christians. That includes those who have been walking with the Lord for a long time. That includes anybody who is living on this earth. This will be your struggle until the day that you die and go to heaven. Idols are so prevalent within our lives, but what's important is that you're able to know what they are and identify them within your own heart and give them up to Jesus. Elizabeth Elliot says this, the question of life is not who I am, but whose am I? You see, there's something that will guide your life and tell you where you should go. It's either going to be Jesus or it's going to be something else. For some of us, it's going to be easy to tell what that is. Maybe the idol within your own heart is very obvious for you. Maybe it's something that you have been struggling with, with for a very long time. Maybe it's something that other people can immediately notice as well. And yet for others, it's going to be much, much harder. However, in verses 28 to 34, we see glimpses, glimpses of how we can identify what our idols are. You see, Demetrius, the idol maker, we see that he incites a riot. And verse 28, it says that these people who had put their livelihood in these idols, these people who were so angry at Paul for exposing their idol worship, it says that they were enraged. And then, for, and then verse 34, it says that for two hours, they shouted in anger with one voice. See, the reason they acted in these ways was because Paul was taking away their idols. Now, this passage, it shows us two ways, two ways that we can identify potential idols. The first is through our emotions, and the second is through our intensity. Verse 28 says, when they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. One of the ways that we can identify our idols is to look at the places in our lives where our reactions to people and situations are extremely reactive and emotional. That reality may point us to our potential idols. In this passage, the people weren't just annoyed. They weren't just frustrated. They weren't just kind of upset of what Paul was doing in their lives. They had a deep-seated anger against Paul. And their reaction was to drag his friends 
and to push them in front of the entire court. And the reason that they were willing to do this was because he was taking away their idol of Artemis. Church, if something important is taken away from you, are you frustrated or are you enraged? Are you upset about it or do you have a deep-seated anger? You see, if you lose something that you like, then it'll shake your life. However, if you lose something that you idolize, then it will devastate your life. And the difference is a matter of degree. That's what idol worship is. And that's how you can really identify what your potential idols are. Look at the degree of how you react to certain circumstances. Look at the degree of how you react when people say something to you. That's why our reactions tell us more about ourselves than the people who did it to us. If whatever they said to you has made you so upset and bitter that you stay up at night replaying it, it's probably because there's a deep idol that's become your savior in there. I know that some of us have, man, these deep convictions and passions in our lives, and that is such a great thing. That is such a great thing. But it's important to be careful because those things that we are passionate about can easily become those things that we idolize. And one of the best ways to check and see if that's the case is that if someone comes into your life or a situation comes into your life and slightly touches it or shakes it, how do you react? The second way to identify a potential idol is going to be through your intensity. Verse 34 says, But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. You see, it's not only the reaction that was notable, it's their passion. It's their intensity. It says that the people rushed into the theater. They dragged Paul's friends, and they shouted out, they cried out for two straight hours. I don't know about you, but it's not an easy thing for me to shout from the top of my lungs for two hours straight. But they were able to do it, and they were willing to do it, because for them, their idols were being shaken. For many of us, and this is how we want to apply it, we will devote our energy and our time and our resources into our potential idols. The place where you spend all or most of your time, the place where you are willing to spend two hours shouting at the top of your lungs, the place where you are willing to go all in and passionate and be intense about, be careful about those places because those places can be where your potential idols are. You know, I read this in a Christian book a while back, but the author said, look, you, it's important for you to look at your bank account and see where most of your money goes to because that may be your potential idol. It's not an absolute thing, and he says that it's not an absolute thing. However, it can help you identify something within your life that may be taking hold of you that you may not realize yourself. 
He says, look, track your money. See where the money leads. He says, track your time. He challenges the people, the readers. He says, look, I want you to keep an hourly log of your day or one week. He says, look at the places where you spend an unusual amount of time. Look at the places where you spend an inordinate amount of time. Usually idols will come out where you see places that you spend a majority of your time in. This isn't an absolute thing, of course not. However, this is a good way for you to identify where your potential idols may be. You see, what the author in the book was saying is that if you idolize something, you're going to naturally devote more time and energy into it. I'm not saying that everything that you are passionate about is bad. But what I'm saying is that if it takes precedence over Jesus Christ in your life, then it's an idol and it will hinder your relationship with God. Many of us cannot see that with our own eyes. Many of us have a huge blind spot within our own hearts. One of the best ways for you to identify your idols is to take these steps here. And that's why at, at the end, I want to pose some questions for you that could help you identify some potential idols. First is, what do you lie awake thinking about at night? Is there anything that you lie awake thinking about at night? Is it your finances? Is it a relationship? Is it a certain person or a certain thing? Whatever that is could be your potential idol. Secondly, what do you get extremely emotional over? Is there something in your life that causes a gut reaction? Whether that's uncharacteristic anger or uncharacteristic despair or uncharacteristic confusion. Whatever that is could be your potential idol. And lastly, does your mind tend to wander into fantasy multiple times a day? Do you tend to daydream and, and think a lot? Do those thoughts consume a large part of your life? I'm not saying that that is your idol, but whatever your fantasy is in, whatever that thing, whatever your perfect future, or whatever that thing that you constantly have your mind on, that could be your potential idol. And church, I'm saying this out of love because number one, I love you guys, but also because this is something that I deal with also. This is something that every single person struggles with. There are idols within your life. And for many of us, we have tried every other diagnostic to grow in our relationship with God, to have a revival within our heart, to be passionate about the Lord, and yet it just seems like we are just so down. Church, this could be the reason why. And so my call to you is to look at the idols within your heart. Know what idols are and know how to identify them. 
And look, I know that this can seem like a lot of stuff. And I know that for many of us, if there's a sin or an idol that you have been dealing with for a long time, it can seem hopeless. But I want to end with this. I want you to have hope because when Jesus Christ died and rose again, he defeated every sin. He defeated every chain. And he defeated every single thing in your life, and the Bible says that his blood covers you, that he bought you with a price, and that when you are redeemed, all of you is redeemed, that from the top of your head to the bottom of your toes, to every sin that you are dealing with, to every dark place that you are struggling with, to every moment of despair, to every single thing, Jesus has you, that he died for it. And that when he rose again on the third day, what that meant is that he defeated sin and death. Yes, what that meant is that he is going to bring you to heaven when you believe. But that also means that whatever addiction, whatever idol, whatever hurt that you are facing, that he has broken the chains of it and that you are a son and a daughter of his. That is the truth of the gospel, church. And so for you who are struggling, for you who have been walking with the Lord for a long time, for you who has lost passion for him, have hope. Have hope. And know that even through that, Jesus Christ is able to carry you. He's able to expose the idols within your heart. He is able to identify them. And he will help you to conquer them. Amen? Let's pray.